Well, I welcome you one more time and I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we began last week to study the DNA of the church. We learned that the Lord Jesus has left us three key gifts in order to help us to to flourish in this life as Christians, to live in a fallen world and to do so with grace and mercy, to persevere, to have maturity. What are the three gifts that the Lord has left us with? Well, first, he's left us with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he has left us with the Bible, God's Word. And the third gift that he's left us with is the church. And so we're taking some weeks and focusing on the church. Last week, we learned the three B's of the church. The church is Jesus's building project. Jesus built the church. Jesus is building the church. It is his workmanship. We learned secondly that the church is the body of Christ. Jesus does what Jesus does primarily through his body, the church. And that includes the things he desires to do in Nacogdoches, and it includes the things he desires to do in your heart, in your life, and in your home. The church is the body of Christ. And then we learned last week that the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus loves and cherishes the church. We learn that the church is the Lord's plan A for what he wants to do in your life. The church is the answer to your prayer. The church, as we've said, it's the hands and feet of Christ because the church is the body of Christ. The church is God's plan A for you. Today, I want us to take one more step in this series to dive just a little bit deeper to have a greater understanding of the church. And I want to answer the question, why do we gather? You're here today, you have gathered for church. You have gathered for our church services here in celebration. Those over in our chapel this morning, those in our summit service this morning, you have gathered why do we gather? Now, before we get to the answer to the question that'll come straight from Scripture this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, let me give you just a little bit of background for the church. First of all, when we use the word church, it can refer to all of the believers in the world. Sometimes in the Bible, the word church refers to the church universal. There's just one church. And all those who believe and trust in Christ are a part of that one church. But, number two, sometimes the word church refers to a local body of believers. Sometimes the church refers to a group of people like us. In fact, the majority of the time you see the word church in the New Testament, it's referring to a local church. The next thing we need to know, just in the way of background, is that biblically, the church gathers. The church is not just some association of people that don't come together, but the church is a gathered body. The church comes together. The church gathers. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, 18, when you come together as a church. 
The church is not something, some association you sign up for, but don't attend. The church gathers. The next thing that's important to know for today is that the local church gathers on the first day of the week. Have you wondered why we have church on Sunday? Why not Saturday or Tuesday or Thursday? Well, we gather on Sunday because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. You know, we think of our holidays here in America, and this hasn't always been the case. You go back to and study the Puritans and, and others, you see that they dealt with this much differently than we do today. But when we think of holidays here in America, we think of annual holidays. My annual anniversary, my annual birthday, our annual celebration of Christmas, and our annual celebration of Easter. That's not really how the early church thought of this. They saw it as a weekly celebration. It wasn't so much that once a year they came together to celebrate the resurrection, Easter Sunday we would call it, but they saw every single week their worship gathering as an opportunity to celebrate that Jesus is risen. That's why they worshiped on Sunday. The Bible calls it the Lord's Day. Acts chapter 20 verse 7 says, On the first day of the week they assembled. Now you should know that was pretty revolutionary because the first day of the week was the first work day of the week. And so when they decided to worship on Sunday, that would be like us deciding to worship on Monday. Saturday was the weekend in the Jewish world. There was just a one day weekend and it was Saturday. Sunday morning, you were at work. And so when they decided to worship on Sunday to honor the resurrection of Christ, that was a radical, radical thing to do. But why do we gather? You know, the Bible gives a lot of important reasons. And we're going to look at some of those over the next few weeks if the Lord allows. But there's really only, this may surprise you, there's really only one clearly stated, absolute, here is why you should gather with the church. There's only one reason. I mean, there are a bunch of reasons, and there are a bunch of good reasons and biblical reasons and true reasons, but there's only one place in Scripture where it says you should gather with the church, you should gather regularly, and here's why you should do it. Do you know what that one reason is? It's not to honor the Lord. Now, when we gather, we should honor the Lord. In fact, that's one of the most important things that happens when we gather. If we don't honor the Lord, we hadn't really gathered as the church. And we're going to see over the next few weeks the importance, the biblical importance of honoring the Lord when we gather. But that's not, that's not what, the, what the verse says that gives us the one reason to gather. We also don't gather first for the witness, for a witness to the community. Now that's important, and we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. We gather as a witness to the community, that we're followers of Christ, and that's important, it's biblical, it's true. But that's not the one, the one listed reason. We also don't gather first for the edification or the encouragement that we would receive. We don't gather for our own benefit. Now, we do gather for our own benefit. That is an important thing. We talked about that some last week, and we'll continue to talk about that in the weeks to come. But that's not either. The one thing God has told us, the one reason why we are to gather, do you know what the one reason is? 
Now, I'm going to fill you in with some details, but I'll give you the reason before we start with the Scripture. The one reason, the one specified, clearly laid out reason for us to gather is because other people need you to be here. Does that surprise you a little bit? That there's only one verse that says, here's why to gather. And that one verse says, it's because other people need you to be here. Let's study the scripture passage. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Now, who's this book of Hebrews written to? That's important here. The book of Hebrews is written to some Christians, formerly Jews, Greek-speaking Jews, but Christians who are undergoing great persecution, and they are considering, many of these Christians, many of the people in the first audience for the book of Hebrews, they are considering abandoning their faith. These are Christians that are living right on the edge. They're following Christ today, but they don't know if they'll be following Christ tomorrow. And we know that that's the case. If we go back and read Hebrews chapter 6, and we read a little further in Hebrews chapter 10, we see these encouragements to hang on, don't quit. The book of Hebrews is written to people who are just absolutely on the edge. And he tells us here in verse 24 that those people who are on the edge, who perhaps are ready to jettison their faith, that they need one thing. What do they need? They need other Christians. They need Christians present in their lives, provoking them to loving good works. Now we'll see in a moment more of what that means, but that's clearly what it says in verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke loving good works. Look at verse 25. It says, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's pretty straightforward. He tells us to gather together and he tells us why we should gather together. Now let's dive a little deeper into those two verses and answer the question, why should we always gather with the church? Number one, we should gather with the church because Christian Maturity has to be provoked. Listen, this will be new to you perhaps. It was new to me as I studied this in a sense. Christian maturity has to be provoked. Look back at verse 24. He says, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Now, as we've already mentioned, the book of Hebrews was written to people who were in danger of falling away. The first audience consisted of these Greek-speaking Jews who had converted to Christianity. And because of their conversion and because of the persecution that they were going through, many of them were thinking it would be easier just to leave Christianity and go back to being Jews. And it would have been easier. And some of them were considering taking the easy path. And so he says here, he says here that we should consider one another and we should provoke love and good works in order to keep that from happening. Let's look at that phrase, consider one another. What that means is to think about the needs of other people. Consider one another. Generally, we live in a world where we only consider ourselves. We're only thinking about us. 
We're thinking about if things suit us, if things are the temperature that we like, if the music is a song I would have picked, if the sermon uh, is something that I enjoy, if the parking place is convenient for me, if, uh, if, if the weather is comfortable for me. We just generally consider ourselves. And, and that's just a part of living in this sinful world. I guarantee it's true of me. My first thought is not, how are you doing? My first thought is, how am I doing? But this says that we should turn that around. Think about other people first. Consider one another. That reminds me of Philippians 2.3. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, ambition or conceit. That means don't do things for yourself. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Now, I told you that the one directly stated reason to gather with your church each week is because other people need you. And we're going to talk more about that when we get into this next verse. But this is what we're talking about. He says, consider one another. Consider. He's talking about gathering with your church. And he says, first, consider one another. And then he says, provoke love and good works. That word provoke is a strong word. In fact, uh, a lot of pages have been written about what this word means. It's only used twice in the New Testament. The other time it's used, it's uh, used to refer to a strong disagreement between two people. It's used twice in the Greek version of the Old Testament, and in both cases it's used of someone irritating another person. Now, doesn't that seem odd? So it's saying you need to irritate one another. You, you, need to, you need to have a strong disagreement with one another. Now, it's really not used in a negative sense here. It's a positive sense. So my Bible translation uses the word provoke. You're to provoke one another. Some versions say stir up. You should stir up one another. Some say motivate or stimulate. All those are good words. What does this teach us? God has designed... God has designed us in such a way that we require the catalyst of others to reach the fullest levels of Christian maturity and to persevere in our faith. Now listen, God has designed spirituality. God has designed us such that we need other people for us to reach the fullest measure of Christian maturity. We need somebody to provoke us, to stir us up, to motivate us, to stimulate us. Um, I watched a movie last week. I'll date myself. This is a movie from my high school years um, called War Games. Do you know that movie? You old folks know that movie, don't you? Uh, maybe not you real old folks, but... Uh, the medium old folks, we know the movie War Games, and it's an interesting movie. It starts, it opens with uh, two men in a missile silo, and they're controlling the launching of a nuclear missile. And so they get what they think is the, are the orders to launch this missile, and so they're going through the procedure. I don't know how real this is, but they're going through the procedure to launch the missile, and a part of the procedure is that each of these two men had to insert their keys. Each had a key. And they had to insert 
insert their keys into the control board and they had to turn their keys at the same time. But the place where you inserted the keys, it was about 10 feet, 10 feet apart. And the idea was that not one person, no one person could insert those keys and turn them by himself. It took two people because the keys were 10 feet apart. The key holes were 10 feet apart. And so it took two people, one on this key, one on this key, and they could turn them together and it would launch the, it would launch the missile. Now, if you think about it, that's a pretty inefficient way to design that. It would have been much easier if they had put the two keyholes just right next to each other, right? Or if it had been, been more efficient if they had just had one key, just one key and the missile launches. But there was a reason why they did it that way. They wanted it to be such that no one man could launch the missile all by himself. This inefficiency was built into the process for a reason. Now, what in the world does that have to do with Hebrews chapter 10? Listen, God has created us so that we cannot reach Christian maturity unless somebody else will turn a key. God could have made this more efficient. God could have created us in such a way that we didn't need anybody. God could have made us such that it was just me, God, nobody else. But God chose to do it differently. And God had his reasons and his good reasons, and we'll talk about those. But God has designed us in such a way that without the help of other people, people provoking us and stirring us up and motivating us and stimulating us, without the help of other people, we can't reach full Christian maturity, and we may not be able to persevere. See, Jesus loves the church. And he has created us such that we need the church. And so it is true that Christian maturity has to be provoked. It has to be stimulated, stirred up by another person. That's the first reason we should gather as the church. The second reason is this. We are defined by our habits. We're defined by our habits. Now, let's look at verse 25 once again. It begins, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. Isn't that an odd way to say that? Not neglecting to gather. Now, that is not no double negative, <laughs> but it's close, right? Not neglecting to gather together. What if I told my daughter, do not neglect to do the dishes tonight? That's not how I would say that, is it? I would just simply say, what? Do the dishes. It's easier to understand, fewer words, straight to the point. But this verse says it the way it says it for a reason. So why does it say, not neglecting to gather. Well, let me go back to my example with my daughter, Ray. If I said to Ray, the simplified version, Ray, wash the dishes tonight. What does that imply? That implies that this is something I expect her to do occasionally, and tonight's one of those nights. Ray, wash the dishes tonight. But if I said it like this, Ray, do not neglect to wash the dishes, I'm really saying something different, aren't I? 
Now I'm saying that it is her customary habit to wash the dishes every night, and I'm encouraging her to be faithful to that habit. Don't neglect to wash the dishes at night. The difference is habit. The difference is habit. And what he says here is that we must not neglect to gather. If he just said gather, well, we could gather now or we could gather a month from now or twice next year. We could gather occasionally. But he's not talking about occasionally gathering. He's talking about a habit of gathering. So he says don't neglect to gather. The implication is that we gather regularly and he is reminding us to continue to be faithful to that regular habit of gathering. We're defined by our, by our habits. And in case you don't see that, we continue to read here in verse 25, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. Some people had the habit of gathering. Some people had the habit of neglecting to gather. But he's talking about habits. We're defined, as I said, by our habits. I read someone who said that it is believed that life is the sum of our choices plus our habits. And this writer said that that's not exactly true. Our life is actually the product of our sum, our, our choices, plus our habits. What, what, what he's saying is that, that you can make good choices. You can make all the best choices. But if you don't accompany those things with good habits, then all of your choices will be worthless. If your life is to succeed, it's going to be because you've made the right choices and you have joined those right choices with the right habits. And those right habits will multiply the effectiveness of those, of those good choices. Here he's talking about having the habit, the habit of gathering for church. Our excellence in anything is determined by our good habits. And we should have the habit of being in church. You know, a habit is when you do something continually and constantly and consistently. It's interesting behind the scenes. Uh, churches, uh, church pastors, uh, academics have ways that they define what it means to be active in church. And that definition of active in church has been changing through the years. There was a time that when we said behind the scenes, when we're talking strategy, when they're measuring statistics, active in church meant someone who was present 48 Sundays a year. That was the definition of active. You missed a few times. You were out of town. You were gravely ill. But 48 out of 52, you were here worshiping on Sundays. And that was the definition of active. And then a little later, it changed from 48 Sundays a year to three Sundays a month. That if somebody came more often that they, than they didn't come, then that person was considered active in church. Then the definition changed some more. It turned into half. If you came half the time, you were active in church. And then it changed to come once a month. In fact, today, when they talk in the literature about those who are active in church, the, the current definition, the measurement of active in church is just once a month. What's God's standard? What do you think God's standard? Now, we don't want to get legalistic with this, 
But what does the Bible say about our faithfulness to gather with our faith family and to celebrate the resurrection of Christ? It says it should be a habit. Now, I don't know if, if you can call halftime a habit. I don't know if you can call come once, miss three times a habit. I think habit means every week. I think the first church, the Bible teaches us, I should say, that the first church, those Christians, they saw a weekly celebration of the resurrection as an absolute critical piece of how they express their love for God and their love for other, for other people. He says here in this verse, do not neglect to gather together. That's why we should gather. Because life is the, is the product of our habits. But there's a third reason we should gather together. Our absence directly discourages individuals in our faith family. Now listen to that, because that's a strong statement. But our absence, your absence, directly discourages individuals in our faith family. Now look back at verse 25. I want you to see all these come straight from the text. Verse 25, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. Now notice in verse 25, he takes the phrase neglecting together and encouraging each other. And those two phrases are separated by the word but. It's as if those two things are opposites of each other. If we fail to gather, we discourage. If we're faithful to gather, we encourage. If you're not here, you discourage. If you are here, you encourage. Just your presence or your lack of presence either encourages or discourages other, other believers. Now again, who was the book of Hebrews written to? As we've said a number of times, it was written to people who were in danger of falling away. These guys were right on the edge. In a real and biblical sense, our consistent, faithful presence on Sunday mornings is the encouragement those people who are on the edge need in order for them to persevere. You say, if they're on the edge, what are they lacking? What's their problem? Well, their problem might just be that we're not here. What this verse clearly says, do not neglect to gather, but instead encourage one another. Your presence here encourages people. Listen, senior adults, you might think, if I don't go, nobody knows, nobody cares. I'm telling you, it matters way more than you know. Because there are young families here in our church, and they don't know you, and they won't ever know your name. But they know that they are right on the edge, and they're struggling, and their marriage is faltering, and the kids are driving them crazy, and they've got job problems and financial problems and fears, and they're wondering if it's worth it. Is it worth it? Should I just abandon this? And they look out and they see senior adults and your presence is a testimony to them. Just hang on. It's worth it. They know you went through all the same things and had all the same fears and all the same problems and all the same frustrations, and you hung on. And that's an encouragement to them. Like I said, they don't know your name, and you don't know their name. 
but your presence is an encouragement to them. Young families that are here, you have no idea what an encouragement you are to other young families in the church. You have no idea what an encouragement you are to stressed out people who wonder because they're absolutely on the edge if it's worth, if it's worth it. And your presence says it is. Can I be a little bit transparent with you? I was throwing a pity party yesterday. Have you ever done that? And I was throwing a pity party yesterday. Poor me. And um, this individual doesn't know what I'm about to say, but uh, you know what the Lord reminded me of? Ken Unteed. And Ken's right here in the back of the of the celebration service and some of you know Ken and some of you don't but Ken's in my Sunday school class and he's faithful he's there every week he's here in worship every week he's there with his wife Nell and uh, Ken and I had lunch about six months ago or a year ago I don't know it's been a while and Ken shared with me some things that he's gone through in life and and Ken doesn't even know but some of his struggles parallel some of my struggles and when I was throwing my pity party yesterday, the Lord reminded me of this. Tomorrow morning when you walk into Sunday school, Ken's going to be there. Not Ken's going to share some profound truth or, uh, I mean, he does often. He's a brilliant man, but uh, not, not that Ken is going to share some especially encouraging word, but Ken's been through some stuff. And tomorrow morning, Ken and Nell are going to wake up, they're going to get dressed, and they're going to be there. And just the knowledge of Ken's faithfulness to be here was what I needed the Lord to show me yesterday in my pity party to find peace and encouragement. This is what this verse is, is saying. When we're absent, we discourage people. You won't know their names. You won't know the stories. But you directly discourage people. That's what verse 25 says. But when you're here, your faithfulness encourages people, especially those that are on, that are on the edge. In a real and biblical sense, our regular or even our occasional absence on Sundays is a discouragement to those on the edge. It really becomes an excuse. Uh, when somebody comes to church and they're so frustrated and they're so much on the edge and they're so much asking the questions of, should I persevere? And you're not here because your kids are in a weekend ball team or you just, uh, it was too cold outside or you were tired on Saturday nights or whatever, a thousand reasons, it doesn't matter. Your lack of presence here becomes an excuse, becomes a negative model. It becomes a reason for people to give up. Now listen to your past, pastor for just a moment. Uh, I hope the church is inspiring. I hope coming to church is encouraging, it's uplifting. I hope you enjoy your time with Christian friends. I hope you learn something in your Sunday school classes. I hope you learn something from the messages that I preach. I hope you enjoy the music. But frankly, none of that is a reason for you to be faithful to church every week. 
You should be faithful to church because people need you to be faithful to church. People you don't even know need you to be faithful to church. That's the testimony of Scripture. You know, I've gotten a little jaded in my old age when someone says, I don't like the music or I don't like the sermons. Oftentimes, it's, they're talking about a different church. Not that they don't like our music or sermons, but they just generally don't tell me that. They tell some other minister that. But when I hear somebody say they don't like the sermons and they don't like the music, you know what I think? I don't care. I mean, I care, but I don't care. The sermon and the music need to be what they need to be. We don't need to have bad music and we don't need to have boring sermons. But frankly, let's just be honest. As good as our praise team and our choir and orchestra are, no offense, you can find better music on Spotify. You can. There are people on Spotify that get paid millions of dollars to make that music, and they are better than our people. And you can sure find better preaching on YouTube, okay? I've listened to some of it. I'm amazed. I don't know why you come back here on Sundays. You can find much better preaching on YouTube. I'm glad there wasn't an amen, at least in the celebration <laughs> service. But you shouldn't be here because the preaching is good or the music is lovely. You should be here because people need you to be here. You know, when my kids are young, uh, they, they danced and they played instruments. And so there were concerts and recitals. Dads, you're going to have to, you're going to have to defend me on this. I went to a lot of bad concerts. <laughs> I went to a lot of bad recitals. Listen, my kids were bad. They were not very gifted dancers, and they were not accomplished musicians when they were young. And the worst thing is, all the other kids were worse, okay? <laughs> and sometimes those concerts or recitals lasted for hours. But I never missed one. Never missed one. You know why? Not because I couldn't find better dancers on YouTube. Because I love my kids and my presence there encouraged them. I mean, don't tell them this. That's the only reason I went. <laughs> when there was a concert during an Auburn football game, there was always a wire that ran through my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was there because my presence encouraged them. I couldn't not go and wait till they got home and say, hey, I hear you did a good job. No, see, it wasn't my words. It was my presence. So I did not neglect to gather at dance recitals for several years. Why do we come to church? Because the people here need you. Let me get to number four quickly. The fourth reason we should gather is because Jesus is coming back. Look at verse 25. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. What day? Well, the day that Jesus is coming back. 
Now, if you're particularly astute, you might be thinking, Pastor, there's a problem with that. This was written almost 2,000 years ago. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews, he may have believed that Jesus was coming back. And he may have told that church that you need to come every Sunday because Jesus is about to come back. But he was wrong. Jesus hasn't come back 2,000 years. So how can we learn from this that we should be here because Jesus is about to come back when that has not been the case for a very, very long time? Well, that's a good question, but there is a good answer. And I think the best way to answer this question is with a football story, as is true of most stories in the Bible. <laughs> so have you ever watched a football game and through the first three quarters, your team has just been pummeled and they're behind by 17 points and it just seems like it's a miserable day but then the third quarter ends the fourth quarter is about to begin and you see the players hold up four fingers and they're encouraging each other and they decide to go out in that fourth quarter and just give it their all and they just play lights out for the fourth quarter. And, and it's like an entirely different team. And they come back and they, they regain the lead on the very last play of the game and they win. That's a fun game to watch, right? I don't imagine it's a fun game to coach, but it's a fun game to watch. But what do you think the coach, I don't know what the coach says at the end of a game like that, but I, I'm gonna tell you what I think goes through his mind. What he wants to say is, listen, team, the clock was ticking the entire game. If you would have played with the intensity in the fourth quarter that, that you played with in the fourth quarter, had, had you played with that intensity for the whole game, it would have never been close. We would have destroyed that other team, and we wouldn't have risked losing on the last play. So next week... Let's just play the whole game like it's the fourth quarter. So I don't know. I don't know if we're in the fourth quarter or not. We may be. Jesus may come back this afternoon. I would be fine with that. Maybe he won't. Maybe we're in the second quarter. Maybe we're in the third quarter. But you know what the coach tells us to do? He says, let's play every Sunday like it's the fourth quarter. If you knew that Jesus was coming back on Monday, where would you be on Sunday? You see, that's playing the whole game like it's the fourth quarter. When I get to the end, I want to say with the Apostle Paul, you know, I poured myself out, I want to be able to say to the Lord, I played the whole game like it was the fourth quarter. Here's what God established his church to be. He established his church, the local church, to be a place where our presence and our words so encourage other people that it is That, that people just attending church and seeing you attend church becomes a critical part in their spiritual maturity and their perseverance. Statistically, 
I mean, it's undeniable. Christians who are on the edge and not in church fall off the edge. We could talk about the theology. We'll cover that later. Christians who are in the church and on the edge, they persevere. Why should we be in church? We should be here because this is the place where we worship Christ, where we honor Christ. Our gathering is the bride of Christ. Christ loves our gathering. All that is true. But we should gather because the people here need us to be present. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. If you're not a child of God, if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus because you're guilty of sin, we all are, I invite you to do that right now. The only hope we have is trusting Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And in this service, when this service concludes, and even at the song we're about to sing, you can respond and trust Jesus. There will be people here who can help you, and you can be in the family of God. But it's more, there's more than just being in the family of God. We need to be in the house of God. We need to be in the church of God. For the sake of the spiritual maturity and the perseverance of those around us, we need to be present. We need to have a habit of presence in the church. Father, make us a people who encourage others just by our faithful presence to gather to worship. And we pray this all in his name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.